A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. How has your week been? I hope good, successful, no drama, no hassle. I did watch the Champions League semi-final the other night. Inter versus AC Milan. I don't think I've ever seen a more Europa League level Champions League semi-final in all of my life. It was not a good game of football. I don't suppose fans of Inter will give a shit because they are in the Champions League final where more than likely they are going to get absolutely obliterated by Manchester City who destroyed... Real Madrid 4-0 in midweek. And I wrote about this on the blog a little bit. You know, I just can't watch Manchester City. There's nothing exciting about watching Man City for me. Yes. Are they technically brilliant? Of course. Are they well drilled? Yes. Does it bore the tits off me? Abso-fucking-lutely, it does. And I didn't watch the game the other night because I I didn't think it was a foregone conclusion, but... I just had an idea they were going to turn over Real Madrid and having watched the two uh, semifinals between the Italian clubs, it just doesn't feel likely that Inter are going to get anything other than a complete hiding in that game. And probably for the first time in my adult life, I'm not going to watch the Champions League final. It's not so much that I don't want to see Manchester City win. Of course, I'd like Inter to win it. But you go into it and you do that thing where you go, well, maybe, you know, football, anything can happen. You know, you never know, blah, 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 blah. And it'll be fine. And then Manchester City will score a couple of goals, uh, you know, within two or three minutes of each other, probably around the half hour mark. And then that will be that. There'll be just no chance and the whole thing will be a foregone conclusion. So I'm not inflicting that upon myself this time around, I don't think. City, of course, in the news as well this week. And it has been slightly interesting slightly that there are, I think now, more people putting some kind of context around Manchester City's dominance of the Premier League. Five uh, Premier League titles in the last six. And even though there have been title races, we were in one this year, and Liverpool have pushed Manchester City very close, of course, in seasons past, without Arsenal having by our standards, and certainly in the standards of of where we've been in the last number of years, an extraordinary season. And Liverpool building the best team that they have had in decades under a manager 
who was, uh, you know, made them a, a superb outfit, you know, over 90 points so many times, lost the title by a single point here and there. Like, without that Liverpool team, Manchester City would have just walked it. And without the, the Arsenal team of this season, they would have just walked it. So I think more people are putting a bit of context around what they do and how they do it and how they've done it. And yes, they've hired the best manager in the world and they've, uh, you know, a very smartly run football club, but they've done it with basically unlimited resources, huge wage bill, big transfer fees all the time. Do they do they make the world record fees all the time? No, but they still spend a lot of money and a lot of money on wages, and that's how they are the team that they are, and that's why they're winning the things that they're winning. And this week, a uh, story in the Times about how they are, they are lo- uh, lodging legal challenges against the Premier League's 115 charges, disputing the legality of the investigation itself, and suggesting uh, that they want the uh, the guy who's in charge of this investigation, a barrister called Murray Rosen, uh, removed because he is uh, an Arsenal fan. Um, and this is what they're going to do. This is what they are going to do. I would say they have a squad of lawyers, which is probably as deep and expensive as the squad of players that they have, and they will drag this out for as long as they can. They'll object to everything and just tear the fucking financial arse out of the Premier League and its lawyers, who, I suppose, would have expected this, but anyone, I think, hoping for any kind of quick resolution to this situation, maybe as a kind of Hail Mary miracle way where a points deduction or something might win us the title this season, I don't think that's going to happen. But I do like the fact now that when people talk about, well, not everyone, but more people when they talk about Manchester City and talk about how good they are as a football team, they're not ignoring the thing that we all know, the thing that makes any success they have like I'm just completely indifferent to it. They leave me cold as a football team. And while it will undoubtedly hurt to see them crown champions, given the season that we had, it's much more about our missed opportunity than it is them. And, you know, they'll win it. The blue streamers will go off. Pep will be interviewed on TV. He'll cry a bit because he's fucking weird. And I'll turn the telly off and I'll go in the back garden and have a beer and maybe barbecue a steak or a burger or something like that. And uh, I won't give them a second thought and I'll think about us and I'll think about how we can improve and hopefully do better next season. So there we go. There we go. Right. A little later on, we're going to be talking to Dan Morgan, who is a contributor with the Anfield Rap, but he's here to talk about Mental Health Awareness Week. And we will give you the winners of our competition from last week, where we had Bakayo Saka t-shirts to give away from our friends at a store like 94. So stick around for that. Right now, though, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the Arscast, Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing? How have you processed the last few days? Um, okay, I think. I don't know why. Maybe it's just age. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, and maybe it's, I guess, that we kind of felt it coming. It wasn't like being mugged and having no idea because you've got your earphones in and mm. you're walking down the street kind of joking along to your music, feeling good, and someone, ah, you know, it, it wasn't that kind of uh, feeling. And I, I, and in the end, I, I kind of had this sensation during the Brighton game that once once it had gone, and in fact, 
arguably just slightly prior to the Brighton game with the Man City kind of extinguishing, crushing, monster, bastard, horrible, <laughs> take your hopes and stick it performance. Um, yeah, I think, I think that had an impact on everyone in Planet Arsenal and that probably includes the players. Um, there was that sense of probably that game needed to give something in, in order for the kind of miracle to stay on. So once the miracle was feeling slender, sure, I don't know. I, it was kind of being put out of your misery, maybe. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, it's obviously very, very sad and disheartening. But the fact that you kind of had this gnawing feeling that it was maybe inevitable sooner or later. Sure. And actually the fact that the, the, the last game against Wolves allows everyone to have a proper celebration of this season and celebration of this team and this club and what everybody's experienced uh, along the way. I think we'll, I think we'll, the emotions will be very, very different after that game. I think there'll be a lot of positivity and recognition that this has been a hell of a ride. Sure. I mean, it, it, it's sort of been about adjusting expectations all the way mm. through, hasn't it? Because the start of the season, if you'd said... We'll finish second. We'll push Manchester City quite far all the way to sort of late April, early May. You'd say, well, that sounds like it could be fun. But then when you're in it, you're adjusting again and you're adjusting upwards because you're in a position mm. where you think, ooh, maybe something can uh, can happen here. And then you have to readjust downwards again. So it's sort of been a, a little bit up and down in, in that sense. Um you know, you, you can only deal with what's happening in, in front of you. And, you know, we're a few days out from the Brighton game now, but I am still struck by Mikel Arteta afterwards and his demeanor and how that result or performance or both of those things affected him after the game. Because we've lost games before. We've lost games mm. badly before. We've lost important games before. And I think like you, like me, like many of the people listening to this, we will have been probably realistic about the chances of that miracle happening and all the rest of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure Mikel Arteta was you know, aware that it was a long shot, even if we'd beaten Brighton to, to win the title. So I'm, I'm curious as to why you think or what it was about that day that really seemed to to sort of sucker punch him if we were all kind of expecting it he it felt like this really had a big impact on him mm, i mean i definitely felt sort of sitting watching him when he came out to meet the media afterwards that he looked kind of almost hollowed out mm. like a slight shell of his normal self and noticeably lower than other times, noticeably more deflated or dejected. Yeah. He's very good at managing those situations now and coming out with a kind of degree of assurance, whatever the result. He's he's become very good at that. And um, maybe because of the kind of like the reality hitting in, not just that it was the end of the, you know, the hopes for a miracle, but also I think it was compounded by the fact that in Mikel Arteta land, this is not the way you go down. Mm. Um, and I think trying to broaden it out slightly, in the life and of a manager, in the evolution of a, of a young manager, there are 
sometimes moments or games or things that happen that become very educational, not at the time, but you can look back at them as pivotal to the way that they regard certain things or the changes that they go on to make. And I do believe that Mikel will look back on this as a real point of learning, what he learns about himself, his team, the whole shebang. It reminds me of, say, God, going back a long time, George Graham and, and, and Benfica in the first Champions League or mm. Europa, uh, European, European Cup, Cup yeah. um, adventure uh, back in 91. First time back in Europe after many years with English teams back. It was a big and And Arsenal had gone down, got a great result away from home in Benfica and came back to Highbury with an away goal, thinking, here we go, and got absolutely tactically outmaneuvered in a in a way that I think humiliated George Graham. And he went off from that and be you know, studied and became a sort of um a strategist for European football. He made that a mission of his, mm. which resulted in Arsenal having the rare experience of winning a European trophy in the Cup and the Cup winners Cup in ninety four. Um it also had an impact on Arsenal as a title challenging team though as well, perhaps maybe uh, but I mean it was a specific thing of in his mm. learning and I think that you can think of Arsenal and you can think of maybe that game against Blackburn where Arsenal got beat 3-1 and there was all sorts of things that weren't quite right and the, I think the team particularly Tony Adams and the way they handled it they kind of had that experience to want to correct it and Arsenal learned a lot about the Premier League, about himself, about the club, about the players from that. But there are sometimes these games that, you know, they have a value that's beyond that 90 minutes. And, but there's something about Mikel, it reminded me, because just him being so uncharacteristically bitten by this one. Again, going back to Arsenal, I remember European game in Valencia when Arsenal went out a Champions League that they probably should have won. Was John, was that John Carew? Was it that mm -hmm. one? Mm. And I remember seeing Arsene walking into the press area afterwards. And he was a lot younger here, so the word doesn't have the same impact as what it would go to. But he looked grey. That was the word that was in my mind. He looked, and he, he didn't have grey hair then, by the way. Sure. <laughs> but his face even, his skin, he looked absolutely like the blood had drained out of him. That defeat just had a huge impression. And something about this makes me feel that in future times, we might look back and think Mikel took something from this that he will use in future. There were some comments after the game about, <laughs> you know, how if the team can show this face, that's something we have to address. And, you know, I spoke to James about this on, on Monday, but, you know, he has been incredibly supportive of the players, even in bad times. And this is maybe one of the only times that we've seen or heard Mikel Arteta maybe throw a bit of a shot across the bows of, of his squad. Um, do you think that might be or might inform the reaction that we get from him this summer when you're talking about this being a learning moment, a, a moment of education, a moment of maybe copper fastening some thoughts he already had, some doubts he might have had, that this was the moment where 
it was switched on completely in his brain about what he needs to do, how he needs to do it. And, and I don't want to say who pays the price, but, but who might be expendable in terms of this squad and how we rebuild. And it, it, it felt a bit like that with some of his comments. They did feel quite loaded mm. in that way. But it's hard to say because without that kind of insider knowledge on exactly when they make their plans and how often they tweak them, uh, I think we'd be naive to think that a lot of the planning for recruitment and sales has not been um, mapped out quite a bit before now. Yeah. Uh, there's often, I think, variations on you have a kind of different outcome <laughs> of what you might do. Um, so there's the kind of winning the league outcome or the Champions League outcome or the Europa outcome or the conference outcome or for certain clubs out there, who, you know, we might wish to mention maybe no Europe at all next year. Mm. Um, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that Arsenal will have had a, a, a pretty extensive idea about the significant ins and outs, where money can be generated, how much needs to be generated and where they want to put it. So it, it might be that certain players or certain approaches uh, get analysed, but I'd like to think that maybe along with it all, I think Mikel will also look at himself and be self-critical. And I don't mean about the Brighton game. I mean about the season. I agree, yeah. Uh, and there is still room, despite this having been an overwhelmingly impressive season with a very good outcome. And second place is a fantastic outcome for this team and where it started. But I'd like to think there are a few big questions that he thinks about to do with things like squad rotation and how much do they guess and when and who can you know how and when do you do you affect that so that certain players who looked a bit tired and burnt out at this point of the season they didn't hit their peak it was kind of they were more straining mm. to hit a stride um why is that can that be done differently uh obviously the makeup of the squad to try and cover for you know, unfortunate injuries and absences. The balance wasn't quite right. It was near, but it wasn't quite right. And um, use of subs. And then the other one that kind of fascinates me is whether there's a temptation to look at a different profile of striker to have as an alternative to Gabriel Jesus or Eddie. I, yeah, I think that's really interesting because there is a very good case to be made for having somebody else with a different profile, physical profile, whatever it might be. But then it's how much of your game plan revolves around that. Because, you know, I, I think probably the main issue for Arsenal this season has been defensive. Mm -hmm. That in the absence of William Saliba um, and obviously Alexander Zinchenko in recent games, um, we haven't necessarily been able to cope. And, and the goals we've conceded in the last number of weeks have been, um, you know, atypical compared to the first part of this season, right? Um We've scored, I don't know how many goals, 83 goals, something like that. So it's it's a very impressive uh, return uh, across the board. You're looking at players in double figures, Jesus, Odegaard, Martinelli, Saka, all in double figures. It's it's fantastic. The 
desire to have something else up front, I think, is something that's shared by a lot of people, and certainly I would be one of those as well, to give us just a little bit of variety even. Mm -hmm. But finding the balance between integrating that player into our style of play, if you want to call it that, and, and the effectiveness of our attacking play this season, which for the most part has been really good, is going to be a very interesting um, facet of, of how maybe he redevelops the team or, or adds another uh, way of playing onto this team. Because if you do have a different kind of striker, I guess that player is going to play differently to Gabriel Jesus. Therefore, does it have a knock-on effect on the players around them? Um, you know, I think we're talking about something a little more sophisticated than, you know, there's a big lad fucking stick it up top and let him do what he does with his head. You know that, you know what I'm saying though? Mm -hmm. I do. Mm. Uh, but I think that there, it's something worth exploring and thinking sure. about. Sure. I mean, there have been times uh, in recent weeks where, you know, Arsenal have gone a bit more direct. And I think that Brian game kind of was probably the most painful example of like hoiking a few long balls in the direction of Gabriel Jesus and, Lewis Dunks just there going, hiya, mm -hmm. <laughs> thanks. Um, and you understand the need for the variety to try and answer different tactical questions. And we're going to have loads of different tactical questions posed in Champions League, by the way. Sure. So it's just that question of um, what Arsenal want to be. Is it going to be stringent? that you play it's our way or the highway or is there some variety in there and options in there and I think yeah there's you adapt but good players adapt and you only need to look at the state funded beer moth uh, with a few more points that uh, that shows you that it is it might might be a bit kind of strange along the way but there's definitely potential to still be playing fantastic effective football with goals shared around mm. and and have a, a a different kind of centre forward to to be a focal point if needed I'm really interesting uh, interested in the the squad depth discussion because you know I'm sure I said on the podcast and I've written on the blog about like over the course of this title challenge you know as we get into the business end of it we are going to need the full depth of our squad and I'm mm. sure I wrote that more than once and and maybe that's still true but I was looking up some minutes of of players who have sort of operated on the fringes of the first team and again I think our problems have been defensive when you lose Saliba and it's compounded by the, the injury to Tommy Asu, who I think would have given us a, a bit more security across the Definitely. back line. I think that's a huge aspect of, of why things didn't go quite as well. But you're looking at... What, you're saying it's not tooting horns from players? Yeah, funnily enough. Are you joking? Funnily enough, I think it's due, <laughs> it's due to other reasons than players being yeah, excited yeah, about yeah. winning football games <laughs> in the last minute. I know that's crazy. It's never going to get me a job on Sky Sports, but hey, I'm comfortable with my lot right here. You talked about players maybe looking a little tired, but Kai Osaka could be one of those in the last little while. Gabriel Martinelli, you know, came off injured. Leo Trossard hasn't looked quite as effective. And I looked at the minutes that players who were available to play, um, how much they actually played. Fabio Vieira started the Bournemouth game. He played 79 minutes of the next 900 minutes available to him. 
Eddie and Keddy have 45 minutes of the last 540 minutes available to him. Um, uh, my benchmark there was when he came back from the injury that, mm-hmm. that he sustained. Mm-hmm. Emile Smith-Rowe made his return in the North London Derby, came on just right at the end, then picked up another little injury, but since then has been pretty much available all the way through. He has played 99 minutes of the last 1,260 available to him. So these are players, I suppose, when we thought about the squad on paper before this season, they can play a role. They can play an important role. They can, you know, come in during games. They can start certain games. You know, we are going to need the full depth of our squad. But these guys, over the last six, eight weeks, and more in the case of Smith Rowe, have not been trusted. And Mikel Arteta's circle of trust I think is evident in his team selection. So it's going to be about, um, I guess, assessing, A, what those players or what he thinks those players might bring next season, but also expanding that to make sure that he does have players who he feels comfortable using at key moments in key games against big opposition, small opposition, medium opposition, because, you know, you can't go through a season the way we've gone through a season and not expect for it to have some kind of impact. You know, when you get right to the business end, legs get heavy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be so fascinating to see how much business is done this mm. summer. You know, um, when Mikel Arteta sits down with a blank piece of paper, what what is his wish list of a squad? Mm. It'd be fascinating to know, you know, like, you know, unless you're one of those mega clubs that, you know, exist on slightly different planets. Most people have to compromise a little bit when they're creating their squad. You know, in fact, most managers will find it's a lot worse than that, given that, you know, the average lifespan of a manager in in this country is, you know, just around about a year anyway. Mm the inevitability of the job is that most people will come in and find a bit like Mikel did when he arrived, a bit of a mixed up jumbled, you know, uh, mishmash of a squad with some fabulous uh, people that you want, some that are tolerable and some that you could really do without. (laughs) Um, And, and actually Arsenal have done an incredible job in the last couple windows to remodel that squad into something that's far more ideal than, mm. than I think is available at most clubs. Um, not perfect, but uh, most of the squad analysis this season, as you said, you know, look down and you saw good options across most of the uh, positions on the pitch. But uh, when I was walking, um, uh, Outside the game uh, against Brighton, there was a couple of lads, I think this was before the game, actually, they were just kind of leaning casually on the wall, um, just chewing the fat before going in. And they were talking about this kind of stuff. I only got a snippet of their conversation. And this bloke turned around to his mate and said, we need to buy starters. His mate, you know, he's like, we've done the bit with this, you know, mm. sorting out the squad generally. We need to buy starters. I thought it was quite an interesting comment. As I think, I I suspect that there'll be a bit of both. I think that there will be starters and I think that there will be uh, upgrades on the squad 
level as well. Yeah. And then there will be a few that are like filling those spaces because it's going to be impossible to get the perfect squad at this moment in time, but it can certainly be renovated and improved. I mean, do you think what we've done this season might accelerate some of the plans that would have been in place? Because, you know, recruitment isn't like, oh, well, I'll wake up today and see who I want to buy. These are, you know, high-level conversations that the manager will have with the technical director and, you know, the recruitment people and all of those kinds of things. Like, how do we build incrementally? You know, what can we do in this window? What can we afford to do in this window? What's the priority? All those kinds of things. But the fact that Arsenal, you know, did come close to uh, winning the Premier League this season, we, we've fallen away right at the end, but we came close. You know, I think it's it's fair to say that. And you wrote um, this week in The Athletic, you said, to push on from this requires owners, KSE, to back Arteta even more. And, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I got the sense that after what we did last season having uh, come close to the top four there was a, an element of okay yeah we are we are definitely on the right track here we're going to get right behind this manager and we're going to give him the resources he needs and he did get plenty of resources and we did sp- mm. spend plenty of money but uh, and i think the gap between ourselves and manchester city even if it's not evident in the the games that we played against them this season well certainly not the second game the first game uh, i think the scoreline was maybe a little uh, unfair, but you know, do you do you say, okay, well, look, we're we're closer than we thought we were going to be. Is there room to to push a little harder in this window than we might have done? Are there decisions that might be made that maybe we're thinking we could push down the line a little bit? And um, you know, does does the way this season uh, has gone have an impact on what we do this summer? I think they were going to back him pretty hard anyway. Mm. I'm not sure how much the Dahl has moved because of kind of accelerated progress. Because they've shown um, recently that they'll give him more or less what he asks for. Uh, obviously, mm. within reason, you know, it's not like Mikel's turning around saying, bring me Kylian Mbappe, but sure. it would be nice. But um <laughs> I don't think he's had a lot of disappointment in going and asking for things and getting rejected. I think they've worked very hard to make sure that he gets the majority of what he feels is needed. Uh, I think the biggest difference this summer, though, is simply for the first time in a while, it looks like Arsenal are able to generate quite good income. So if there is a bigger pot, Mm. I think some of that will be self-generated. And I think it's, the, the cleverness of the decisions they make in who goes, you know, s- some of the outgoings, there won't be necessarily a massive amount coming because they're just still some of the relics from uh, the past that you know, they haven't quite cleaned up the squad as perfectly as possible. But there are some that'll be pure business decisions where they're good players with a good value and Arsenal will use that and say, We'll have that money and we'll try and get a better player with better value. Mm. I mean, do you think that's kind of what's going on with these Granite Shaka reports? Um, you know, linked with. I think that's a slightly different situation. Uh, right. I think that Granite's scenario is a more personal one. Um, because of his service to the club, uh, because 
he's well regarded for the you know what he's given but because they don't want to be tied in to granite for another four years mm. it leaves them in that kind of this is exactly the point at which you make a, a, a business versus emotional versus football decision so granite has one year to go with a plus one option mm. understandably at the age of 30 that's the right time for granite to say can i have a you know yes security a, a more contract, secure yeah. contract than that please so arsenal have either got to recommit for another three stroke four years mm-hmm. or say this is the time we thank you and you know we, we'll generate some funds and not let someone run down their contract and walk away yeah. for nothing any you know a year's time or whatever isn't that sort of what we wanted the club to do for a long yeah. time, though? And, and yeah. part of, I remember when, when the Xhaka contract uh, extension was announced, yeah. there was a measure, I think, of angst among um, sections that? of the fan base where, you know, and I, I get it, you know, um, he's had an up and down time at Arsenal and, and it does look as if, if he does go uh, this summer, it's going to go on, uh, you know, uh, an up much more than a down because of the performances and the way that he has become important to the team. But but that, that sort of strategic thinking in terms of how you secure a player's contract at that age, so he's not getting to 30 or 31 and he's got a year left and he says, well, I'll just stay here and run it out and get a Bosman. Um, maybe that's part and parcel of how we are trying to uh, improve the way that we sell. And that is going to be... You know, I, I think people have quite a, a deal of confidence in what we can do when it comes to incomings and recruitment and the kind of players that we can attract and the mm. kind of players that we want to bring in and our capability of bringing those players in. I think most people will be, will be pretty relaxed about that aspect of, of this summer. I suspect that there are going to be a lot of eyes on the other side of it, the outgoings and how we sell and where we sell and how much money we bring in and all those kinds of things. Because there's a there's a real mix of potential departures, aren't there? From someone like Charlie mm-hmm. Patino, who wants to go, and Flo Balagoon, maybe, who wants to go. Like, these are young players. What kind of contracts do you put in place? What kind of sell-on clauses um, do you get that might benefit the club down the line, even if it pains you to sell these players or it's a little bit disappointing to see young players go you've got Tierney a very established player someone like Rob Holding uh, Granit Xhaka who's into sort of the September of his career if you like maybe Thomas Partey too I don't know but you know these guys who may well go out it's going to require quite a, a range of of negotiations if you like with with potential selling clubs yeah, that's why I'd expect um, all the uh, recruitment guys to be pretty busy pretty soon <laughs> for the stretch. Because, uh, you know, the days are gone when you could arrange a transfer in a week. You know, they tend to be much, much more dra- drawn out nowadays. Mm. So, And there is quite a significant amount of business to do. And, of course, you can't do all the business you want at the time that you want it anyway. Because, you know, in an ideal world, season finishes and, hey... Three days later, Arsenal announced Declan Rice, you know, but mm. we all know that uh, it's probably going to be uh, a lot more um, painful than that and a lot more <laughs> long-winded and twists and turns and, you know, horrible things to thrash out and and, and other clubs that are going to make it difficult. 
So yeah, if if, it's, if it was as simple as as uh, Arsenal ringing up Declan Rice and saying, "Would you like to come?" and him saying, "Yes," we'd all be uh, laughing. But mm. unfortunately, there are too many other parties that have different agendas that make all this stuff super complicated. No matter how much a club wants a player or a player wants that move. Mm. Um, but yeah, there is. Subst- I think there's going to be substantial ins and outs, and I think it will be quite a movable feast. So they may have, I, I, I suppose, a bit like the Madrid. Uh, Trossard situation you have a first choice second choice there's going to be mm. so much kind of juggling around it'd be like a complicated puzzle of if this one goes and that much money comes in from that then this guy can come and then that one is, you know they have obviously got a budget to work within sure um, and it's about maximising how they get to spend that budget what's needed to prop up that budget from sales and keeping a balanced squad at the end of it of the best players that you can out of that situation. And I bet what they might have on paper right now is this would be the ideal that X gets sold for 30 million and this one comes in for 80 million. And mm. What they end up with at the end of the transfer window could look astonishingly different. But as long as they are flexible enough and the people that are, are going on the ins and outs give you an end result with an improved balance squad and I uh, the great news is that everybody out there trusts Arsenal to do a good job on that and we don't have to go back very far in history to be absolutely petrified about what people involved in the club's dealings were going to do sure I mean I do think I'm 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 really interested to see how well we sell because I think that has been an issue and I understand the reasons why it's been an issue but it will be very Go on. Do, do, do you think it's a status thing as well, Andrew? Do you think the way that Arsenal sell has anything to do with their status in terms of everybody knew that Arsenal were crappy sellers for quite a long time yeah. and were able to take advantage? Do you think that it's important to the club that they kind of put their chest out and, sure. and uh, 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 you know, suddenly are a bit of a player walking into the casino? Uh, yeah, you know? I mean... Like I said, yeah, I can understand the reasons why it's difficult to sell some of the players that we've tried to sell over the years. Yeah. And and look, I appreciate openness and transparency from people at the club who, you know, we don't always hear a great deal from, you know, but I remember Edu talking about some quotes about, well, well, you've got a guy like this, he's playing in London, he's on this guy, it's impossible to sell him. So, you know, I don't know that that necessarily helped in that regard, but also... And this is a conversation maybe we had about Liverpool a few times down the years, is that you see them sell players who barely made the fringes of the Liverpool first team and all of a sudden they're selling them to Bournemouth or somebody for twenty million pounds. You're going, How how are they doing that? But I think the fact that you are perceived as a, a really talented team, a really talented squad has an impact on how people view the players that you might want to sell. So okay, maybe you're not quite good enough for this. Arsenal team, but you're more than capable of doing a good job at Premier League level for a team somewhere down the league. And I think that's kind of the area that we are getting into now with these players. You know, some of the guys that, that I talked about at the start, like Emile Smith-Rowe, it might, it's going to pain me if Emile Smith-Rowe goes this summer because, um, he, you know, it really will because of just, you know, where he's come from and what he's uh, symbolized and signi- uh, signified is that a word it is yeah I just love you know, watching him play same. I just love the way he plays it just warms my same. heart there's something bouncy and 
it's mercenesque, right? Oh, I know. It, you it know? is mercenesque. So, you know, for the same reasons we loved watching him, I've loved watching him. But that, but that's this is what I'm talking about. Where I think, if if it's decided internally, I'm not saying it is or it isn't or anything like that. I have some worries, obviously, like most people, because of how little he's played. But if it's decided internally that that you know he can go, the fact is there are going to be a lot of Premier League clubs who will say, "Yeah, we'll have a bit of that." And we'll pay good money for that. You yeah, know what I mean? I think it's going to be, particularly those three players, Patino, Balogun and Emil, if any of them do end up going, it's going to be very instructive to see what kind of prices mm. are, are, are generated. A couple of quick things before we go. One is contracts. And um, there are things in the works, we understand, with key players. They've tied down Gabriel Martinelli. They've tied down Gabriel. Um, it feels like at the time of recording, nothing's been announced, but, you know, uh, Bakayo Saka, Aaron Ramsdale, the stories about Martin Odegaard getting a new deal. I assume that they will do something similar for Ben White, given he arrived at the same time as Ramsdale and has had the same kind of trajectory. Uh, that is another layer to what needs to happen this summer yeah, as well, isn't it? name you didn't mention, isn't there? There is a name I didn't mention, and I, it's you know, a, I think that's a, it's a fa- fascinating that all the other names you did mention. There's a real confidence that that's that, that those deals will well, that, happen. That's the one that I'm. That's the one <laughs> the, that I have the, the most. The unmentionable word. one is, is, is well, yeah, Saliba, obviously, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, he, he's a guy who looks very happy at the club. I think he is, you know, and I think yeah. he is happy at the club. Um, but again, he's in a very, very strong position given the length of time left on his deal. And, and that just is naturally a complication when it comes to a contract renewal. But, you know, this is, an, if they're going to be busy selling, if they're going to be busy buying, they're also going to have to be busy renewing. Yeah, I think most of them will will, will be happening without a, without a problem by this stage. But the Saliba one, I would kind of, my hunch is that, one more good contract with Arsenal and then mm-hmm. see what else is out there probably is something that he could be persuaded, you know, mm. is a, makes great sense because his um, development since he's, not since he's been at the club, but since he's been in the team, let's just say, um, it, it is phenomenal. And he obviously looks very, very comfortable uh, in the team, in the club. He's loving life, I think. It would be a real pity. But again, if needs be, I guess, you know, you're gonna have you'd you'd have to take what would be an enormous amount of money for one year on the deal if if he's absolutely flat refusing to sign something else. Mm. But I think good news there is not implausible. Fingers but maybe crossed. not like the the major, major things that they're working on first. I would think the renewals are something that they kind of doing as they can mm. but surely the transfer market because it's so much more complicated is is where there's going to be a lot of time haggling final thing then and you know i don't think we've had a a particularly downbeat conversation but m- maybe a realistic conversation about what's happened i think it's been informed by you know the last few weeks and everything else but is maybe the most important thing to take from this season uh, from this season rather that feel-good factor, trying to replicate that on and off the pitch. And I know results and performances are what drive those things, but I think there are parallels between the end of this season, the end of last season. 
if you want to say that Arsenal ran out of legs a little bit, I think that's not unreasonable. But what we saw at the end of last season was some of that being addressed and further improvement this season. And again, if we've run out of legs a little bit, you know, it, it did feel like we were able to take the positivity from last season into this season, even if the end of it was, was you know, painful and a bit heartbreaking because we missed out on top four. Like, I know it's easy to say just do it again, but I think that has got to be part of of how they approach is this idea that this is still something that is being built, something that's growing, something that's developing, a, a team that's that's coming together and can improve. So in the cold light of day, as hard as it might be, with the disappointment of not getting over the, the finishing line in the way that we would have liked, it is really important to keep those positives to the forefront of what we're trying to do. Oh my God, I've loved so much of this season. I mean, it's been so uplifting and inspiring and enjoyable for the vast majority of it. It's been, it's been a laugh. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it's been, um, it's been looking at, it's been, it's been looking at in someone's eyes in the ground and they're, bloody popping out because something so brilliant's just happened. Has it changed or the way... strangers or, you know, bouncing around singing songs and really bloody meaning it, you know? Has it changed the way you... Um, not changed the way you look at football or the club or whatever, but it did feel like something... We've been around the block a couple of times, let's say that, but it felt like... Childlike is the wrong word. It is. But Andrew, I, I felt like feelings that I wasn't sure I was going to feel again about football. That's and what I was, I was so getting thrilled at, yeah. to know that that wasn't gone. Mm. Because, you know, as the game becomes more and more kind of money orientated and, and glitzy and agents and all the stuff, you know, which makes it sort of feel a bit out of reach from that kind of primal feeling in the pit of your stomach that you belong to something you know that's the best thing about football you mm -hmm. choose your club and you you know it belongs to you and you belong to it and if you lose that a little bit or it gets frayed it's a it's so hard and to have that i think this season has been all about every single person who's been on the journey with the team is that they be, the club belongs to us and we belong to the club all mm. over again. And it's been a very powerful thing. And I think it's fueled the team to have this uh, ride where they got as far as they did. And it's definitely ignited feelings in most of the supporters. Like, Jesus, tickets have been like gold dust. hasn't been like that since Highbury. Mm. Um, I've had people begging for tickets from, you know, <laughs> I've not heard of, you know, somebody's grandmother's neighbour's nephews sure. you know Niltman saying oh any chance you, you if you hear of any spares and people coming from all corners of the globe people are oh you're coming over any chance of a you know desperate to see a game this season because everyone wants to touch this thing and feel it for themselves to experience it yeah yeah and it's been joyous and I think if uh if that's how I feel I'll kind of look back on this season I'm, I think in time you'll forget maybe some of the pain and the, the frustrations of the end. I don't, maybe not, maybe that's naive, but I'm sure I feel like looking back and remembering some of those moments of 
euphoria and togetherness uh, and being back, you know, so sure. lovely and so important. I remember a season uh, when Arsenal didn't ever win anything in 1992, which was, I think, the first season of Ian Wright. And they won quite a lot around that time before and after. It was a rare season of nothing. Mm. But the second half of that season, they had an absolute shit for herself a season, like hungover from winning the league, I think, the year before. And then the second half of the season, they just went out and said, sod this, we're going to enjoy it. <laughs> and we were smashing everybody. I remember singing to John Barnes, Barnes has got the hump when Arsenal won 4-0 or whatever it was against Liverpool. Smash Palace 5-1, smash Sheffield Wednesday 7-1. The goals were going in everywhere. The, mm. and, and I think the commentary on the last game of the season was something like, oh, the season had gone on another couple of weeks, Arsenal would have won it. And we were we were crashing crashing up the table at a speed of knots on this wave of positivity and mm. enjoyment. And it was so much fun. And uh, 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 But it's because they had such a woeful start. There was just too much ground to make up. Sure. But I love that season and I look back on it with love. And I'm pretty sure we're going to look back on this season with love as well. I think that's true. I think it's true. There's been a, a lot of it going around and it's been incredibly Feel the love, fun. guys. It's well, the it's, only way. It's been fun to talk about it, to write about it, to be there at the games, to just, um, like you say, experience it as part of... I think you always know you're part of a community, but sometimes you can be estranged from your neighbours. Mm. And uh, I feel like this season is one where um, people have come together in a really important and, and kind of organic, it sounds a bit wanky, but you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's been natural. It hasn't been forced and it's been, it's been amazing. Um, it has been communal. And I, I think I can think of a bunch of people who, you know, all been going for a very, very long time, but in lots and lots of seasons gone past, we don't talk that much after games or before games. And suddenly we're just messaging all the time mm. after every game. You think of the amount of games where I've called you on the way home from the <laughs> game, just for a quick, a quick, Fucking you know, hell. just letting out a bit of stuff. Yeah. We don't yeah. do that all the time, but this season it's felt like necessary to share this yeah. with others. And, uh, and that's a great thing. It sure is. In seasons past, it was like a call for like, oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> what the fuck was that? And this year it's been fucking hell. That was brilliant. So mm. let's hope we have a bit more of that next season as well. Amy, as ever, thank you very much. Cheers, Andrew. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Thank you very much indeed. It's always a pleasure to talk to Amy, and you can find her on Twitter at AmyLawrence71, at AmyLawrence71, and she writes about Arsenal and stuff for The Athletic. Now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week in the UK, and I just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up with regards to the next segment. I'm going to be talking to Dan Morgan, who is a contributor to the Anfield Wrap, our good friends up there in Liverpool, but also somebody who works for an organization called James's Place, who try and help men who are having 
suicidal crises. So for some people, this might be very useful. For some people, it might be something they don't want to listen to. So this segment is about 10 or 11 minutes long. You can fast forward beyond it if you feel like it, after which I'll give you the winners of the competition, uh, the, the Bukayo Saka t-shirt competition. However, when it comes to uh, something like this, mental health and suicide, talking and communicating goes a long way. So Dan is going to fill us in a little bit. Dan, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Andrew. We were just talking uh, before we started recording, you know, your experiences of competing with Manchester City for a title and being, as you said, chased or chased down by by that particular team. Uh, it, it is a challenge. Yeah. You've been there, done that and worn that T-shirt. Yeah, it's not fun. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of Liverpool supporters who feel like this season's drop-off is because of how much those seasons took out of us mentally and physically, mm. and, you know. Yeah, they, they they just have this knack of of sort of going. I, I remember the, I think it was the 18-19 season, the season before we won the league, and we dropped points in the February and the March. We'd, we'd drawn a couple of games, reasonable games that you should be able to draw. Old Trafford, um, Goodison Park, mm. games that are derbies. So, you, you know, you're happy to take a point in. And Newcastle, I think, lost to Rafa Benitez. Uh, City lost to Rafa Benitez in Newcastle. Um, in the February, and they didn't drop another point after that, and that was the season when Company done the uh, the, the Leicester goal, sure. the screamer that one, and it was just it's a horrible feeling, and, and I do you know I do I can definitely resonate with what Arsenal are going through at the moment, but I think he'll undoubtedly come out of this stronger than ever. I think. Yeah, I mean, what was what was the re the reaction like? You know, from from a fan's perspective, where you come close and it doesn't happen. And you know you've got a team that isn't quite peaking yet or, or still got a lot, uh, you know, in, in terms of how it can progress and develop and things like that. Does that give you, you know, a bit of confidence going into the new season? So what's what's really interesting about Liverpool, and if, if I just mentioned there, 18-19, 19-20 when Liverpool win the league and pre-COVID coming in, in mm. March, I think it is, Liverpool win 26 out of the first 27 and draw the other one. And and that's because ultimately they basically think to themselves, we have to win every game here. Yeah. If we're going to be able to do this, we're going to have to win every game. And I think, you know, for them to get to that level of points before the pandemic came in just showed how relentless they were, just showed how much City, you know, had, had played a part in their, in their psyche of, of what it takes to win a football league while Pep Guardiola and and Manchester City are knocking about. And, and I think that's ultimately what it does to you. You know, you have to sort of strive for perfection because there's no other way. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you know now, you know from your own experience now that you can't, you, you know, you can't drop points to West Ham away yeah. in April. It just can't be done. No. It can't be done. And and that, and that and, and again, it goes back to the thing of margin for error and there should be margin for error allowed. But I think... If Arteta and Arsenal will have learned anything from this season, it will be that that they should have to start every season like a train and then find some way to try and maintain it. Mm. Um, because that's, it's the only way. Yeah, it, it is the only way. Unfortunately. Yeah, you look at what they're doing, and it's it's very familiar. It was, I think, the fear that most of us had was that you just get chased and chased, and they'll just win and win and win and win. And uh, yeah. unfortunately, that's turned out to be uh, the case. But look, we can commiserate with each other here. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit about uh, James's place and and what it is and what it does. Yeah, James' place essentially exists uh, to save the lives of men. 
Um, we offer a free in-person talking therapy service in both Liverpool and London. Um, and I guess where we're different um, or where we are niche, if you like, is that our services for men who are actively in a suicidal crisis uh, and what that means is men who have encountered some form of psychosocial crisis. It, it's often men who've never been um, diagnosed with any kind of mental health issue or men who have, have ever felt that their, their, their mental health has been affected in any way, but they've encountered you know, some form of life crisis, albeit a relationship breakdown, albeit you know, a money issue, job loss, um, and very quickly spiraled and... Um, we work with those men over a very short period of time, usually around two months, um, and we get to the root of the problem with them quickly. We offer them, as I said, some some stability, some uh, some reliability, I think, um, and some routine. Uh, we give them, you know, a really calm, warm, and friendly environment that they can come into and feel safe in. And and yeah, it's it's a service which, you know, we want to we want to get out to as many men in as many environments like football as possible because what we what we will always say is it's it's your everyday man who comes to James's place, you know. It's mm. it's the person who goes to football on the Saturday and and you know, is with his mates and, and looks like he hasn't got a care in the world and then on a Sunday morning, you know, he's he's making plans to end his life and, and that unfortunately has happened quite a lot and we've seen that quite a lot and you know, we wanna we wanna tell those men that there is a place you can come here which is free, it's immediate, we'll see you within forty eight hours, um, and we'll get to work on trying to get you out of that crisis and, and find you some hope for the future. I mean there is these days certainly more awareness of, of mental health and people's mental health as as something that they have to deal with, but probably still a sense of stigma, particularly among men, about talking about things like that. So you know, what, what do you say to somebody who might be listening or who might know somebody who, you know, might be struggling? Like you say, it's difficult sometimes to identify those people. So maybe somebody who is wrestling with those thoughts themselves, it's not always easy or it isn't easy to come forward and, and talk about it. No, absolutely. I mean, look, there's often a misconception that if you ask somebody if they're feeling suicidal, you'll put the idea into their head. You know, we can't stress enough that that is a misconception. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, we often tell people that that is, that is a mistruth and something that people assume. And it's, it's actually the opposite, really. You know, the, the idea of giving somebody that space and opening up a space for them to maybe talk about how they've been feeling and maybe if they have had thoughts or ideas around ending their life actually creates a conversation that starts the process of then somebody getting help. You know, our, our clinical lead discusses and, and describes um, the men we see and the, the situation they find themselves in as, as often guys who who see suicide as a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And, and it's that kind of, um, you know, every door around you closing, nobody to talk to, not really even sure what's, what's going on or why you're feeling this way um, situation that people can further dig down into. And before you know it, you know, they, they don't feel like they've got any other way. The idea that I agree with you, you know, people are, you know, able to talk a lot more now about how they're feeling. Uh, the idea that, you know, we can come on here and have a chat about this yeah. in, a, in a space that is predominantly for football supporters, I think is 
is undoubtedly healthy towards that. Because again, you know, it might just be that, you know, two guys go to the next Arsenal game and say, oh, did you hear that that James Place segment on Ars blog? That was really good, wasn't it? You know, I've been worried about X or I've been worried about, you know, about our mate who, mm. you know, he has, we haven't seen him for a few weeks. And again, you know, that it's not just a sort of welfare issue. It's it's the idea that, you know, someone might actually from that conversation say to their friend or their loved one, well, actually, I've felt that way before. And, and you know, th- there's often a bravery element attached to, men speaking up um but what we want to do is you know we we really want to normalize these conversations we want to normalize this word there's still a stigma around the word suicide that you can you know you can find in certain in certain pockets of of community and society and and again you know we we want to we want to get the message across that this can happen to anyone at any time and and it's it's not a weakness it's no it's no slight or, or no perception of anybody and how they live their lives. It's just something that we have to manage and sometimes that that, that gets away from us and, and can really spiral quickly. So how do people avail of this service? How do they get in touch? How do they make contact with you guys and what sort of process uh, is in place when, when people do uh, get in touch? So, so the centre's in Bunhill Row, which is just off Old Street, near Moorgate and near, uh, near Old Street Station, in between both of those. Um, to make a referral to us, uh, you, you go to our website, which is www.jamesplace.org.uk, all one word, James Place. Um, in the top right-hand corner, you'll see a button which says Get Support. That's an online survey. And it'll guide you through, basically, because there's three ways in which a man can come to us. He can refer himself, which is really important. Um, he can be referred by a concerned third party, so like a friend or a family member or a caseworker. Um, or he can be referred by a professional, and that can be you know, a GP, a crisis worker, somebody like that. Um, but the, the survey will guide you through that. All we ask is that you give us as much information as possible. Once we receive a referral from somebody, we aim to get that person provided we've got sufficient information and they meet our criteria of being in an active crisis. Um, we aim to get them in the centre within 48 working hours in front of a therapist in a private therapy room, you know, talking and, and looking at the issues and seeing whether we're able to offer that person some help. Um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a sort of standard um, everyday referral process for us. You know, we, we've got... We've got five trained and experienced therapists who are all employed by us at the centre. Um, they work with, they can work with up to you know six to ten men at any one time, you know, in a rolling caseload. So, you know, we're a very fast service. We're a very immediate service. We're a very sort of crisis-driven service. But we have to be that um, to to deal with the men we're dealing with. You know, we have to we have to be. You know, dealing with those men who who are feeling that way because that's that's the nature of what we do. Sure, and just a, a final message to anybody out there, maybe who's listening to this or to one of the other segments that you've been doing on on other football podcasts this week, where you know maybe when you are in that kind of space that you can't see the wood for the trees, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, what would you say? I mean, first things first talk to somebody anybody um you know we we can't reiterate that enough that how much the concept of talking helps people um helps people open up a dialogue helps people disclose how they're feeling helps people down the line get help obviously if somebody is feeling like 
they are actively wishing to end their life, you know, present yourself to the nearest A&E is advice we will always give. There is also a 24-7 crisis text line, um, which if you text shout uh, to 85258, someone will come back to you really quickly. Or you can also call Samaritans on 116-123. They're the emergency um they're the emergency contacts if you like but you know if you are that person like i said you know finding somebody in your life and hopefully there is somebody there who you feel you can talk to would just create um a sense that there is a support network around you if you are somebody who has a concern about somebody um who's maybe become a little bit isolated or more introvert or you know has suffered one of the you know the the everyday life events that I've, I've spoken about, um, I'd say that, you know, don't hesitate to have a conversation with them if, if you feel like you can, you know, because mm. again, you you might be that person offering that olive branch to someone and that might also start that process. So, you know, we, we can't reiterate how much communicating really helps. And if James's place can be there to help at least one man from this or, or any podcast we've been on this week, then, you know, we've, we've done our job. All right. Well, we will make sure we put a link to uh, James's place in the podcast uh, show notes and also on the on the website, the post that you'll find on rsblog.com. Dan, keep up the great work and uh, thank you very much indeed for coming on. Thank you so much for having me and uh, looking forward to a top of the table clash between the both Reds next season. Yeah, let's have that. Thanks again. Thank you very much indeed to Dan. And as I said, you will find a link to James's place in the show notes in your podcast app right now or on the post which contains this show over on arsblog.com. Now, I told you I would give you the winners of the Bakayo Saka t-shirt competition with thanks to our friends at a store like 94, which is a store like 94.co.uk. The random number generator has done its thing. The black and gold Bakayo Saka t-shirts are going to go to Al Broadbent. And Clint Harvey. Well done to both of you. I'll be in touch. I'll get your details and we'll get the t-shirts sent out to you. If you do feel like you want to buy one, there is a discount code, which you can use on the site. Still works. Going to work all week. The code is arseblog. So pretty easy to remember. T-shirt's very cool. Black and gold, Bakayo Saka, uh, which on the back I asked you, what did it say on the back? It said North London is about to explode. Now, just as I've been recording and just as I'm finishing up, I notice that Aaron Ramsdale has signed a new contract with the club, which is good news. He's been very, very good for us. I can think of at least three or four absolutely outstanding performances. Like every goalkeeper, he had a little bit of here and there, but that happens. And for the most part, I think he has been a really important piece of the the season that we have had. So extending his deal is, is excellent news. We will give this further discussion Discussion in our Premier League preview podcast, which we will have for you over on Patreon tomorrow, Friday afternoon, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. We'll look ahead to our game against Nottingham Forest. We'll chat about the Ramsdale uh, contract and whatever crops up in Mikel Arteta's press conference tomorrow. So please do join us for that. It's patreon.com forward slash arsblog. For now, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, as always, for listening, for downloading, for subscribing, for sharing, for all the things that you do with this piece of audio. Thank you very much. Uh, we, We really do appreciate it. We will catch you on the next one, folks. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye bye.
Now, I must tell the courtroom that I have reviewed these charges, and I must say they are extremely serious. It is almost beyond belief that 115 charges could be made, and barely anybody says a word about it. It speaks to something that's fundamentally missing in our society. 100 and 15 separate charges. It is, by any standards, extraordinary that one single individual has accumulated so many charges, making them by some distance the most egregiously wrong person on football Twitter ever. Mr. Neville, do you have anything to say for yourself? I see. Well, I now find you in contempt of this court, in much the same way as you've been found in contempt of basically everybody on Twitter this week. I hereby sentence you to life as Alexander Zinchenko's car horn.